everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Oh boy, that last episode was a doozy. It took a lot of time to record that one. I'm not complaining. Again, I am enjoying every one of these episodes. Well, at least any episode that is rated above three bonnets. In our last episode, I did inquire, of course, what time of the year it was because we did go through an entire pregnancy and then some. And in this episode, we have an answer. It's almost the holidays, which it seems to have been a really long year, this first year in Walnut Grove. Again, we don't have any established date when the Ingalls showed up of course, in the TV series, uh, to Walnut Grove. But a lot has been packed into those episodes, and we still have about nine more left to go for season one. So maybe season one is a year and a half long? <laughs> Food for thought. I'm a big fan of continuity, and since we are on the prairie, and not a whole lot happens there besides, of course, the drama... It should be relatively easy to keep everything in check. And with that being said, let's get started on this recap. Today's episode is entitled Christmas at Plum Creek and premiered on December 25th, Christmas Day, 1974, and was written by Arthur Heinemann and directed by William F. Claxton. It's been a while since we had our opening shot of somewhere else besides the Ingalls' house. And here we have an exterior shot of the Merchantile. And what is that on the ground? We have snow, fake snow, and possibly some shaved ice. It's finally winter! So what time of the year did the Ingalls actually move to Walnut Grove? Like I said, we had a nine-month pregnancy, followed by three weeks where Mary was employed so she could replace Miss Beetle's book that she torched. And then there was the town party and country party, and then Charles left for an undisclosed period of time to find work. Doing the math, the continuity up to this point is a little messy. However, I digress. In front of the school... Laura and Nellie Olson are hanging out. It's more like Nellie Olson is riding Laura's pony, aka Bunny, WTF, what the frenemies. For Laura being as vocal as she has been about not enjoying Nellie Olson, why is Laura even letting Nellie Olson ride her pony? We cut back over to the front of the merchantile and the Ingalls family are coming out and Laura immediately says, get off. Nellie Olson starts to get off Bunny, but in the same time mentions to Laura that she does need a saddle. She then proceeds to offer a temporary swap, the pony for the China doll for one week. There's a very quick no from Laura. As a last resort, Nellie Olson offers to purchase Bunny, or at least run over to Mr. Olson and start to ask him to buy the pony. The immediate offer is for $5, which again is greeted by a no from Laura, and Nellie Olson claims it doesn't count. Only Paws can say that. And Charles clears the air by stating Bunny belongs to Laura, and it's her choice of what she decides to do. Nellie Olson is stunned. Clearly not used to hearing that word no, 
the first words out of Nellie Olson's mouth is, You don't even have a saddle. Mr. Olson quickly ushers her inside. While the Ingalls continue to pile into their wagon to get home, we hear from Laura, I hate that Nellie Olson. Caroline quickly responds, Don't say or even think hate. However, for some wagon-riding fun home, they decide to think of one positive quality from Nellie Olson. It's a long wagon ride home. Back home at the Ingalls, Charles is lighting his pipe, and it takes Carrie three times to blow the match out. What should be noted is that Charles is lighting his pipe less than three inches away from Carrie's face. Kind of rude. Well, at least it wasn't a cigarette. We hear from Charles that we should be thankful for Nellie Olson because she reminded us that it was almost Christmas time and we might have forgotten. However, all the girls adamantly respond that they would not forget. And although excited about Christmas, Carrie proceeds to ask, what's Christmas? Charles takes the time to relay the story of a bright, bright star that appeared in the sky and... OMG, we had that same great December conjunction just this last year. Charles continues with his story about shepherds, three kings, three wise men, manger, baby, you know, and decides to call it a birthday party. And after we get the whole birth story of little baby Jesus, everyone retires to bed. Up in the loft, the girls are having their late night discussion regarding their first Christmas at Plum Creek. And how they are deciding to get something special for Charles and Caroline. Laura rolls over and proceeds to grab her piggy bank and starts to count the money that she has. Laura, as she counts her money, plans to find out what it is Ma wants. Mary also rolls over and pulls out her piggy bank and proceeds to count her funds. And between the two of them, the result is abysmal. We cut from the girls upstairs counting their meager funds, to the table where Charles is checking the savings, because, you know, we've been waiting to fend off this winter starvation. However, wait, this is actually Charles's own secret stash, which he quickly proceeds to hide in his fiddle case when Caroline comes from out of the bedroom. She remarks, Burr, it's a little cold, and Charles gets up and heads outside to gather more wood for that fireplace, and there's a loving eye roll from me because clever Caroline used that to check her own secret savings that is in the cupboard. However, going from Charles and Caroline's face, they're broke. But what else is new? Like I said, at least they have purchased enough to fend off winter starvation. Next morning, Mary and Caroline are busy doing the ironing and folding some clothes. And Mary flat out asks, what should I get Pa for Christmas? Caroline is also clueless about what to get for Pa. And since the finances are low, we'll have to make something special ourselves. Continuing to fold the clothes, Mary notices a hole in a sweater. And the camera zooms in as a smile starts to develop on her face. It would appear that Mary has found a Christmas present idea. And out in the barn, while Charles is mending a fish trap, Laura is also running into a hurdle in regards to finding out what to get Caroline for Christmas. Sadly, Charles is also clueless. In changing the subject, Laura asks Charles, where did he learn how to make a fish trap? His response is, I picked it up along the way. 
Having to do it for yourself is the best teacher there is. However, once things are done around the house, everyone has again piled into the wagon and they are heading into town. And we pass by an ice storage building dug out into the hillside. And instead of a roundabout, Walnut Grove has a triangle about. We are once again inside the merchantile and it is decked out with some holiday cheers. There are bows of holly. I mean, bows of holly. Thank you, Laura. And paper chain link garlands decorating the entire store. Laura runs into the store and sees a doll up on the shelf and Caroline quickly responds, don't touch it. And while waiting for Harriet Olson to be available, Charles looks at a bonnet and notices the price is actually a little bit higher than usual. And turning around with some holiday glee, Harriet Olson says, but of course, it's the Christmas season. And in the following moments, it is discovered what Caroline would like to have for Christmas. Her very own Easy Bake Oven, aka her own stove. And the music swells for this moment. As Caroline moves away from the oven, we cut to Mary, who's over at the yardage, the fabric land section of the store, where they are listing they have fancy patterns and plain patterns. And Mary discovers something, however, is disappointed by the price. And while all of this is taking place, we cut to Carrie, who, thanks to Charles' story from the night before, is now obsessed with stars. And she is staring up at one that is hanging from the ceiling in the merchantile. Back over at the oven, Caroline moves away to a different section in the merchantile, and Charles quickly heads over and checks the price tag. And that oven is listed at $7.87. Eeeh, Caroline's got some expensive taste. Laura, however, is also witnessing the scene. And once both Charles and Caroline move away, she also goes and inspects that oven and checks that price tag. And slowly, her smile starts to fade away. Away from the oven and over at the yardage, Caroline picks up the same fabric that Mary did, and looking at it, a smile does come across her face. And little Carrie is still obsessing about that star, and I have to worry if she's straining her neck because she's been staring at that thing quite some time. We cut to outside of the merchantile. Mary and Laura are discussing what it is that they've come up with to get as presents for their parents but they are not sharing what those items are. Back inside the merchantile, in the storage room, Charles, while shopping for supplies, strikes up a deal with Mr. Olson. Charles offers to repair slash refurb a set of buckboard wheels for a client of Mr. Olson's. However, Mr. Olson flat out says, you ain't no wheel right. And Charles, with that Charles Ingalls spirit slash attitude, I don't know if I am or not. I've never tried. How much are you willing to pay? Mr. Olson and Charles strike up a bargain and settle for a price of $8 and the wheels will be done before Christmas. And Charles even states, you don't have to buy them if you don't like them. And from their handshake, we cut to Charles pulling up at home with the salvageable parts of those wagon wheels. And Caroline wants to know what this is all about. And Charles, putting his foot down and moving those wagon wheel parts, says Christmas is not the time to ask questions. 
Another day, and after school, Mary tells Laura to head on home because she's got something to do in town. I have moth permission. And of course, suffering from younger sister syndrome, Laura has to know, what is it? And Mary says, you'll find out and heads out a screen. Laura and Nellie Olson have a quick tongue exchange before Laura turns around and heads home. And in the barn, Charles sets to task on the wheel project. Laura comes in the barn and asks, how can she make some money? You know, lots of it. And Charles says, it's a riddle that he has yet to solve. Getting up from her spot, Laura notices a blanket that is covering something and Charles stops her. Of course, Laura needs to know, what is it? Apparently, Laura is also not aware of the asking too many questions during the holiday season. We cut to inside the house and Mary comes running home and starts yelling, guess what, guess what? And without missing a beat, Caroline says, you swallowed a mouse, which is then followed by Laura who says, oh no, you swallowed a pig. And I have to say, I'm just confused by this point. I imagine we would most likely get a eye roll from big sister Mary, but she informs us that she went to see Mrs. Whipple the seamstress and mary lets us know i can sew a seam french knots chain stitches running stitches cross stitches and even before the story is completed charles comes into the house and you can tell mary is excited because she happens to use the phrase you just got to twice in the same sentence it's the same work schedule mary had when she was working at the mercantile Monday through Friday after school and all day Saturday. And we know that Charles was not around when Mary was working at the Merchantile. So his first concern is whether or not Mary will have time to finish her homework and her chores. And Mary, 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 without even discussing it with her sister says, Oh, I thought Laura could do my chores. Please, I'll pay you back. And Laura agrees to this. And Charles also agrees to this, and Mary is happy. Laura, being the little sister, then needs to know, how much is Mary going to get paid? And Mary is very coy about this answer. Laura keeps breaking this holiday rule about not asking too many questions, and even Charles agrees about that. Now go upstairs and get ready for supper. With the girls upstairs in the loft, Charles notices a basket full of eggs, and he inquires, you going to sell more eggs? And Caroline, without missing a beat, Charles, this is not the time to ask questions. It's late in the evening, and staying up to work on those wagon wheels in the barn, the girls come out to Charles for a goodnight kiss. Laura stays behind. It's not fair. Everyone knows what to do about Christmas but me. Giving his half pint a little bit of encouragement, he kisses her goodnight and tells her to go to bed. And as Laura is heading back towards the house, she stops by and looks at her pony, Bunny. Bunny lets out a small neigh and draws Laura's attention. And Laura can't help but stop and shower Bunny with some love. And that's when Laura pauses and then grins. An idea has formed. Possibly the next day, Laura comes out of the house to greet Charles as he's pulling the wagon up in front of the house. Laura comes out of the house to greet Charles as he pulls the wagon out front. She wants to know if she can ride Bunny into town. Charles remarks, well, do you want to ride her or make Nellie Olson jealous? 
And Laura, being completely honest, says it's a little bit of both. Well, it's not breaking any commandments as what we get from Charles. And so Laura goes up and untethers her pony and the family piles into the wagon and heads to town once again. Once they're in town, Mary jumps out of the back of the wagon and heads to work. And Caroline makes the remark that she needs two minutes alone with Mr. Olson, no questions asked. This is immediately followed by Laura asking for those same two minutes with Mr. Olson, no questions asked. And Carrie, she said she needs to go to the outhouse. Meanwhile, Mary shows up to work at Mrs. Whipple's and Mrs. Whipple is very friendly and very chatty. And before even allowing Mary to start to work, Mrs. Whipple says, here's your milk and there are the donuts. In addition to the two dress mannequins inside Mrs. Whipple's that have something frilly on them, there is also a nice button up shirt that is being crafted. And as the camera zooms in on the pattern of that shirt, we cut over to the same pattern being purchased by Caroline at the Merchantile. Uh-oh. Caroline is also smart because she adds the whole, please don't tell my husband about this part. Because we know that Mr. Olson has proven himself to be unconsciously non-discreet. Best to tie up those loose ends, Caroline. Outside, Laura reminds us that she can pace, but she cannot practice patience. And Caroline comes out of the merchantile, but so does Mr. Olson because Caroline forgot her basket of eggs. And outside, seeing Charles, Mr. Olson remarks that the clients who want those wagon wheels want them painted now, yellow and black. And Charles agrees to paint them as long as the paint is provided. And heading inside to gather that paint, Laura trails along, saying that she has something to talk to Mr. Olson about. As the adults are talking, Laura is being ignored, but eventually she gets her time alone with Mr. Olson. And mm -hmm, Laura's got a secret. Mm -hmm. And she whispers it into Mr. Olson's ears and they have a small back and forth. And we never hear what the conversation is actually about, but they do come to a final agreement on this arrangement. And Laura, just like her mom, being smart, tells Mr. Olson, now don't tell anybody. And with their business in Walnut Grove taken care of, the Ingalls, minus Mary, who's busy working, all pile up back into their wagon and start singing jingle bells as they ride home. Once they arrive home, Laura is anxious and she forgets to shut not only the house door, but the barn door. She is wanting to die something. And what she is choosing to die, she's doing so with onion skins. Apparently that's the writ die of its time. But with that task set up, we cut to Laura inside the barn, starting to crochet. We see Caroline pull out that yardage and start to task on making something. Charles is busy painting those wagon wheels yellow, and Mary is busy over at Mrs. Whipple's. Next time we see Laura, she is almost completely done with her project. And back inside the house, Carrie looking through her own safety deposit box, discovers she has her own penny. Caroline remarks, oh, you are so rich. It's late evening in the barn. Those wheels are nearly completed. And Caroline comes in and also remarks that they are beautiful. And 
Charles is busy trying to place one of those spokes inside the wheels, and unfortunately, it breaks. And Charles must stay up late finishing the project. When it's done, he comes back inside the house, and Caroline jumps out of bed and offers him some coffee and expresses her amazement with Charles's ability of learning to do things he's never done before or tried before. However, she notices the silence and turns around with that cup of coffee in hand and sees Charles asleep in the bed. She goes over and tucks him in. However, we don't see if she actually takes off his shoes, which we can imagine she did. The next day, to keep things quiet, Caroline sends the girls out to town. Laura and Carrie will return once they are done with their errands in town, and Mary is going to return after she's done with her work. Once at Walnut Grove and inside the Merchantile, little Carrie uses her penny to purchase that star that she has been breaking her neck about. However, Laura replies, Oh, Carrie, you don't have enough. And Mr. Olson, bringing down that star, says, Oh, well, this, this item was mispriced. It should be one cent, and I will only take one cent for it. Taking the star that little Carrie wants and heading behind the counter to start to wrap it. Mr. Olson does ask the one customer who's over at the yardage if she does need any help. And this customer flat out says, uh, no, I'm fine. I'm gonna go where there's a better selection in Mankato. It's a little rude, but at the same time, the customer is always right. Later that day, after the store is closed, there is a knock on the front door of the merchantile. Charles has showed up with those wagon wheels completed. Here you go. And Mr. Olson remarks at how beautiful the tires are, and apparently he's going to keep them and, and sell them to the client who requested them. Heading inside the store to gather those $8 funds, Charles remarks, Oh no, I, I don't want the $8, but what I do want is this stove. And that leaves me with 13 cents, and I will take 13 cents worth of candy. The expression on Mr. Olson's face says, Oh no. The words out of Mr. Olson's mouth say, Oh, sorry, this item has already been sold. And Charles, having a hard time accepting this, says, Well, is there another one in the storeroom? Which is responded with a no. Charles then remarks, Well, can, can we order one? Mr. Olson remarks that to order a stove will take 10 to 12 weeks, and Charles says, Oh, that's not going to work. Looking around inside the merchantile, Mr. Olson remarks, Well, here's a beautiful china lamp, and I will throw in the kerosene. There's a no from Charles on that. Heading over to another spot, Mr. Olson says, Oh, well, here's a knickknack shelf. No. Oh, how about this clock with Dresden figurines? Charles remarks, I don't need a clock. I need a stove. And Mr. Olson is doing so good with keeping his secret. You can tell he's trying really hard to steer Charles to something else. And Charles is just not having it. He says, I want the stove. I want my wife to be surprised. Mr. Olson, under his breath, says, Oh, I'm sure she will be. However, realizing his dilemma, Charles decides to ask Mr. Olson if he can tear the page out in the catalog of the stove and place it in an envelope, so that way Caroline has something to open. It's a strange transition from here because we cut to the wilderness, which looks more like Montana than Minnesota, and Charles is snowshoeing and is on the hunt for a turkey, which he gets. Um, and again, this scene is mostly filler. And back home at Plum Creek, it's snowing, and Caroline is making pies, and Mary and Laura are doing the dishes. 
but Charles shows up at home, holds up that holiday turkey, and we cut to, because it's been a while, DJ Ingalls back in the house playing the fiddle. The tree is trimmed in the background and dancing is happening. There's a knock at the door and it's Mr. Olson with a delivery. It's a large crate addressed to Caroline. And Caroline's just excited. Oh goodness, what's inside, what's inside? With the crate delivered, Mr. Olson remarks that he can't stay because he's got plenty of other things to deliver around Walnut Grove. Talk about a good businessman. Charles seems happy about seeing the item laid out in front of him, and still, Mr. Olson says nothing. And late at night, in bed, Caroline can't sleep. She wants to know what's in the giant box, Charles. And Charles, of course, you have to wait till the morning. You're as bad as the girls. Leaving a very inquisitive Caroline in bed, Charles excuses himself to add another log onto the fire. And he is greeted by Carrie, who is up and is really concerned that Santa is going to get burnt up from coming down the chimney. Charles has to throw this in that, oh, Santa is magic and that won't happen. Now get to bed. We cut to Christmas morning. Laura is unwrapping a gingerbread man for Jack. Jack devours that gingerbread man. And Charles is sitting there and he's unwrapping the present from Laura. And it's a green scarf. He likes to remark that it is his favorite color. And Mary gets a real fur wrap. And Carrie, she gets a button necklace. And Mary presents Charles with his gift. Opening it up, Mary remarks, I made it, which is funny because Laura made her scarf too. And as he unwraps the package, he sees that it's a shirt. And Caroline, as though she's seeing double, is confused. It's the same shirt that she has wrapped, but it's not the same shirt that is wrapped. Finally, Charles gives Laura her present. And while she is busy unwrapping that, Caroline takes the gift that she has created for Charles and hides it. But Laura, as she finishes unwrapping that present, realizes she now has a saddle of her very own. And looking at it, it looks like she's ready to cry. And it should be joyous, but Laura is crushed and she doesn't say anything. And it's at this time Caroline has to know what's inside the big box. And filled with joy, she takes... I guess what could be assumed as a crowbar. Caroline works to open up that large crate and it is revealed to be a stove. And looking at the card, it's revealed, like we didn't already know, that this gift is from Laura and everyone is stunned. Meanwhile, outside, Mr. Olson and Nellie have pulled up to the house and it's finally revealed Laura sold Bunny, her pony, to get that stove for Caroline. Nellie Olson and Laura head out to the barn and inside the house, Caroline is on the verge of tears. She is having such a hard time accepting this gift because of Laura's sacrifice. And Charles, echoing what he said earlier, Bunny is Laura's and it's her right and her decision of what she chooses to do with Bunny. And Caroline is still still just having trouble accepting this sacrifice. Bringing Bunny outside of the barn, Nellie Olson promises to take very good care of her. Laura comes inside the house, 
after letting Bunny go with Nellie and Mr. Olson. And Caroline thanks her so much for this wonderful gift. And Laura is sad, but because of all the time that Charles invested in making that saddle, how it was for nothing. But it wasn't for nothing, because Charles is one proud papa. And while all of this is happening, of course, who is forgotten? Little Carrie. And she yells out, open mine, open mine. And Charles unwraps that star for baby Jesus. And with the assistance of her dad, Carrie puts the star on top of the Christmas tree. And gazing at it, we hear Merry Christmas and Happy Birthday, Baby Jesus. We cut to the exterior of the house as the camera zooms away and the snow continues to fall on this Christmas at Plum Creek. Thank goodness that is over. It's not that I didn't like this episode, it was just the fact that I had to watch a holiday episode in the month of May. Now I have to confess, this whole podcast has been a labor of love. I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into when I started this podcast earlier this year back in January and really kind of explore a new side of expression that I've never dived into before. I would say so far the hardest part about this podcast for me is of course having to listen to myself because I've never really listened to myself too much. I've watched myself on video clips because that's what you do when you practice certain things in circus arts. You record yourself over and over again. And I will admit, when I started doing that, even watching myself was something new. So, slowly adapting to listening to my own voice through these headphones, this podcast has gotten a little bit easier. So, earlier in the episode, when Charles, in regards to the fishing traps, says, having to do it for yourself is the best teacher there is, I couldn't agree with you more, Charles Ingalls. I've learned quite a bit in these last few months with, like I said, creating this podcast. And yes, I am still learning new things every day. There wasn't a lot of trivia that kind of popped into my head while watching this episode, except for Jingle Bells. Where did it come from? So here's some fun trivia about that. Jingle Bells was written by James Lord Pierpont. However, there is some discretion about whether it was written up in the northeastern parts of the country or down in Savannah, Georgia. And the song was actually called The One Horse Open Sleigh before getting the moniker of Jingle Bells sometime later. According to Joel Brown's article, Jingle Bell's history takes a surprising turn in the Boston University Today publications. The first performance of the song was on September 15, 1857. Sometime after that debut performance, Pierpart did copyright the song, but in 1859 would re-copyright it as Jingle Bells. There are plaques located up in Medford, Massachusetts, as well as in Savannah, Georgia, that take credit for being the location the song was written. So this song has been around for quite some time and is appropriate for being inside this holiday episode. But the most interesting thing about Jingle Bells, it was the first song ever broadcasted 
from space. Information was provided by, like I said, Boston University Publications, as well as History.com and KUSC Classic FM radio station, also online at their website. And with that being said, let's talk about reviewing and rating this episode. Okay, my first question is, where is Mr. Edwards? The last time we had a holiday scene, Mr. Edwards stripped down to his, I guess his underwear, and proceeded to make his way across the creek to bring the Ingalls some holiday cheer back on the prairies of Kansas. Where is he here? We know he lives in the area. Oh, wait, maybe he's spending the holidays with postmistress slash doula Grace Snyder. Hmm. Another thought occurred to me. Charles had to leave because his crop was decimated to go find work to help prevent winter starvation. Now, a lot has happened in that time. And it's odd to think of the Ingalls being broke because... Actually, it's not odd to think of them being broke, but consider this. Caroline earned some money from her teaching job, which was not expected. Charles Ingalls has done a lot and still is pretty low in those finances, but... Oh, but right. It's possibly some costly doctor bills taking little Charles Ingalls Jr. to Mankato. The number one thing I appreciated most about this episode was getting a clear telltale sign that it is the holiday time. And it is right. The holidays are a very secretive time trying to conceal any sort of presence from being exposed. What's sad to note is we never find out what happens to Caroline's present. Is, is she actually saving it for Charles's birthday? And there's nothing wrong with having two of the same kind of shirts. But moving on, it's now time to bring up the Little House moment of this episode. This episode's Little House moment is actually, yes, one of our sadder moments. Laura has just come back in from delivering Bunny to Nellie and Mr. Olsen. And yeah, Laura's sad. But it's not the fact that she's sad about selling her pony but it's the fact that she said that Charles invested all that time into a saddle that she can no longer use. And Caroline, excited that she has that new oven, embraces Laura and tells her that she will never forget this present. Better not cost us a damn pony. But seeing how much her middle child is willing to sacrifice for her, Caroline is very proud. All right, now let's get to rating this episode. All right, so kind of already mentioned a few things in the review. Um, Mr. Edwards not being present, never finding out what happened to Caroline's present to Charles. I know it's supposed to be a quote-unquote happy ending, but Laura doesn't have a pony anymore. So episode kind of finishes on... Uh, Mixed feelings, I will say. This episode finishes on mixed feelings. Oh, and then lastly, thank you for the holidays. It has put some continuity into perspective now. We're going to give this episode, Christmas at Plum Creek, four bonnets. 
And those are some of my feelings about this episode. And I, of course, would love to hear any feelings you might have about this episode. And you can reach me at fromplumcreekwithlove at gmail.com. And once again, if you are listening to me on iTunes, and if you feel inclined to rate and review me there, I would greatly appreciate it. And so that brings us to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, happy holidays. I mean, take care.